1: Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your co-host Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and of course, as always, I am joined by my partner in crime, my co-host and good friend James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over at USA today. Jay, been really excited for the listeners to hear this episode and to hear our discussion with uh, with Daniel Jeremiah, but before we get to that, how are you doing here uh, today?
0: Yeah, man, I'm good, man, hanging in there. And, yeah, just like you, I'm pretty excited about this interview that we're going to uh, give the people something that, you know, we, me and you have been contemplating for a minute in terms of reaching out to him. But uh, it was a matter of, uh, you know, when when it was the spring, he was busy covering the draft. So we wanted to strike at the right time, and apparently we did. So, so shout-outs to our connect for getting us in contact with him. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited about the episode uh, in general, too, not just the interview.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, we really appreciate DJ for coming on and um, giving us that time. So we're going to get to that interview here in just a moment, folks. Before we begin, we just want to give a special thanks to any of you who have gone over to Apple Podcasts and left the show a five-star review along with any comments. That is one of the best ways you can support the show, so head over to Apple Podcast if you're enjoying our content and drop that five stars. We are also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, so make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to us. You can also find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast as part of the awesome Believe Library. You can tweet the podcast at BelieveInJagsPod. You can find myself at PhilTheFilipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, And James is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. So without further ado, Jay, let's go ahead and play the interview that we were able to do with Daniel Jeremiah. It's really exciting. He has a lot of fun stuff to say and share some really cool stories as well. So let's go ahead and get right into the interview. All right, folks. So here it is. We have the much anticipated discussion with Daniel Jeremiah. We are very excited to have him. Of course, he is an NFL network analyst and you can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks. He's also the host of the Move the Sticks podcast along with Bucky Brooks. And if you don't know, he also just started a YouTube channel, which I've uh, recently delved into. And it's it's awesome. So make sure you check out all of that stuff. So Daniel, of course, we hope that everybody you know, in your life is safe and healthy. Thank you so much, for joining us but we'll jump right into it um what were your thoughts on the drag on the Jags draft class overall and also what are your thoughts on how long it will take for you know all this young talent to kind of mesh and really come together to make the Jags a contender again
2: well I, I liked it I mean first you start with just having a crap ton of picks you know when you got that many picks like you're gonna have some you're gonna have some good players that by default but I thought you know, actually, Dave Caldwell did a really nice job, and, and kind of the theme that they had is they wanted to get more athletic. And uh, you look on the defensive side of the ball over the last couple years now when you have Josh Allen and what we saw from him last year, um, and now you add Caleb on chase on, you add C.J. Henderson. Like, they're adding young speed and guys that have played at a high level in the best conference in college football. So there's some, there's a little more known about these guys than, than some others. But then you kind of, uh, you know, take some take – some, Risks or some high reward, some high upside. Maybe uh, uh, not not the safest players, but Lavisca Chenault, if he's healthy, um, and you get the player that he's been at his best. You get a big time athlete there out of Colorado. Uh, I like that kind of a, a gamble there with him. And then uh, you go on and you look at some of the small school players that you're able to. Yeah, to go after. I thought they did a nice job there as well. So um, I thought overall it was a solid draft and we'll see these guys early on if they can, uh, if they can get up to speed. And, and I think we'll have that opportunity.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a whole lot of enthusiasm. I'm going to be a little selfish here and, and ask you about Colin Johnson because I am a Texas yeah. fan. What are your yeah. thoughts on him and where does he need to improve?
2: Well, getting off press is going to be his challenge. You know, I I think a lot of people, when they see a guy that big, and they go, oh, okay, he's just going to maul guys, and they're going to be the physical player. But you've got so much surface area you're presenting to a defensive back when you have that size. So, to me, that's going to be the challenge. Uh, You saw it against the little corner from Louisiana Tech who kind of got up into him a little bit uh, in that game. But uh, down the field, 50-50 balls, red zone, that's going to be his calling card uh, initially. Um, just giving him a, a ton of size down there, and I love—he's got great hands, so you love that about him. To me, it all just is going to start with whether or not he get off press.
1: Yeah, I'm, I was very, very excited to to see that pick come in, but definitely a lot to work on. But uh, Jay, I know you have our next question here.
0: Yeah, yeah. So my question was because when we talked to you during the conference call in April before the draft, it sounded like you kind of expected the Jaguars to maybe maneuver in the draft and what have you, or maybe move around with 12 picks. But to our surprise too, they used all 12 picks. And uh yeah, I wanted to know from you, are you shocked about that at all? Um, Or uh, did you kind of see it coming or, or what have you? Yeah, no, I, I thought they would. I
2: thought they would move around and, you know, sometimes you got to have a partner to do that. So they just couldn't, couldn't make that work. And I think, you get to the point too, where you just you like who's there when you're picking. So if you're if you're picking where they are in the first round, and CJ Henderson's there, and you feel like there's too big of a drop off if you wait at that position, you try and slide back. There was you know a lot of talk that uh, that Atlanta was in on him that that he would be there. So I can understand if you like the players sticking and picking, and uh, and that's what they ended up doing. But I also thought when you kind of go through some of the the middle rounds, the the players that they were able to find—I mean, Shaq Quarterman has got a chance to be a, a long-term starter as a fourth-round pick that you could you could put uh, you know third-round value on him. Josiah Scott, I thought, was a you know late two, early three um, out of Michigan State to be able to get him in the fourth round. So sometimes when you're when you're lined up in the draft, you can be talking about wow, well, you know, we can move around and we can trade back up with our second pick, but then you start parting with some of these you know third, fourth-round picks and end up being starters for you. So. Um, I thought, you know, look, you, you can have plans for the draft, but you gotta be able to adjust. And I don't think Dave Caldwell found anything he liked uh, from a trade standpoint.
0: Right, right. And I'm gonna do I'm gonna take a page out of Phil's book and uh kind of add on one more question to that. Um, because you mentioned Shaq Quarterman. Yeah. And you said that's a guy that you, you know, you kinda had uh, graded highly, if you will. Somebody threw out there on our local radio that he could play strong side linebacker. Uh, do you think that's a fit for him in terms of going to that position?
2: Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know if he has the kind of the, the length that I'd want at that position. I, to me, I like him. I like him as a Mike. I think that's what he is. He's a he's a leader. Um, he's somebody that's a great communicator. The, the thing with him was interesting. We we did the East West Shrine Game, and you go down there, and I was surprised he was in that game. I thought he would be at the Senior Bowl. But anyways, he's down there, and from the first practice he was the vocal leader of the entire defense. And then by the time we met with the coaches before the game, they're like, no, he's, he's not the leader of the defense. He's the leader of the whole team. Like he, he had kind of taken on that whole leadership role. And to me, as a, as a Mike linebacker, that leadership is so key. And I think he's got that. And um, I also think, you know, athletically, you might be a little bit disappointed if you put him outside and try to make him go out in space. I think keep him in those tight quarters and where he's got neighbors. And uh, that's really his best.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. And yeah, I did see the Shrine game and yeah, it looked like he just uh, was the leader of his unit overall. So yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff there. So I'm going to um, let Phil take the next one.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of excitement about Jack Quarterman, of course, with him being a local a local kid. So really excited to see him. Um, what a transition into some news that broke this past week. So of course, Caleb Farley has now opted out of the 2020 season. You know, do you think that more top tier prospects are going to be following suit? And also, just from an insider's perspective, how does that affect scouting?
2: Yeah, I I think this is just the first one here. Um, The way I was talking to somebody about this this morning, I said, look, it's coming. Now, whether or not it's going to be a ripple, a wave, or a tidal wave, I think we'll find out in the next seven to 10 days, but there's going to be, I'm guessing we're going to see significantly more people, you know, whether that's, you know, 20, 40, 50, you know, or more, I I would not be surprised at all. I, I think, the, the message that these kids are getting, whether you agree with it or not, um, here's the sales pitch because you're going to have agents talking to kids and the sales pitch is this. If you come back, there's there's one possible good outcome, which is you're going to play better and your stock's going to increase. You're going to help your draft status. That's the one positive. There's three negatives. You can get COVID, you can get hurt, or you don't play as well. So, if you if you look at it, if you think that you are a top 50 player, then you can see buying into that logic. Here's my problem with it, is that there's probably 200 kids in the country that think they're top 50 picks. Uh, they're not. Uh, and they could benefit from getting some play time out there, getting some more tape, show improvements in their game, and uh, and really trying to up their stock. But um, that's, that's the message that they're being sent right now.
1: Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see – this trickle down the next week or so is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, so, Jay, we'll go into the next question here.
0: Yeah, so my question was because we haven't really heard a lot of people talk about this. I mean, aside from me and Phil doing the evaluations and some some of the local radio guys. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Jaguars undrafted classes and uh, do they have any stills there? Because while, you know, COVID-19 will make it to where, you know, they may lean towards veterans uh, they are a team that has been known to bring in a lot of undrafted free agents onto their final roster.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it, and I could be at risk saying this because I know as the rosters have kind of gone from 90 to 80 that I haven't caught up with some of these guys who've been released. Uh, but when I when I watch James Robinson uh, out of Illinois State, that to me is the one that I would keep an eye on. And there is, I don't know if it's even been told yet, but there's a just a really cool story about him because – uh, scout for the Jaguars, Marty Miller is a great guy and he's been with the team forever. And Marty was in charge of the running back position after the draft in terms of getting that coordinated, work with the coach and get that done. So everybody's at home, you know, it's a lot easier to coordinate that when you're all inside the team facility. Um, but he had put up, he kind of recruited his kids and his wife to help him uh, after the draft to make sure they're trying to get phone calls in to all these different kids they built, put a board, a little makeshift board up, and then uh, kind of were going off the board. And they had some guys they thought they were going to get, and they all kind of fell through. And uh, so Marty was disappointed, trying to come up with another name. We got to get somebody. And his wife goes, "Well, what about James Robinson up there? Like you had him way up there." And he's like, "No, there's no chance he's still. There's no chance he's still around. Like uh, he would have gone really early in free agency. So Should have been drafted. Blah blah blah." So she encouraged him to uh, to call him. Sure enough, calls him, uh, the rest is history. They end up signing him, they end up getting him. So it was assist to Marty's wife uh, from home is how they're able to, to to land James Robinson after the draft. So I thought it was a cool story. That being said, hopefully he hasn't been cut in the last 24
0: hours. No, no, he's still on the team. And uh, he's a guy that I actually, um you know, some people kind of disagreed with me there because of what we said about COVID. But I actually put him on like my early, way too early final 53-man roster. Uh, because you know mm-hmm. they, could, they could use somebody behind him because it's kind of uncertain behind Chris Thompson and of course Leonard Fournette. You know they kind of don't know what they have. So yeah, uh, yeah, appreciate that little nugget there. By the way, so uh, okay. Phil, I'm, I'm on you,
1: sounds like a pretty cool little family effort there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really that's a really neat story. Uh, yeah. So we'll move on to the next one year. So this past off season. Your name was mentioned as a general manager candidate by some, and we know this because there was a pretty vocal faction here in the Jags community mentioning you as a guy that, you know, that we liked. Uh, is that something that you're open to if the right opportunity presents itself? You know, we've seen, of course, Mike Mayock move over and, you know, is that something that you'd like to pursue?
2: Well, it's something that you always, um, as I say, right, you always listen and you always uh, you know take the call and, and hear what's out there. But, you know, I've, got such a good setup right now with with not only with work but with family and and being able to be at my son's games and my daughter's volleyball games and go to track meets and and all those things so i enjoy where i am right now and and being able to still be involved in the scouting side of it on the tv side of it i'm still getting to watch players still getting the right players which i love um but you know look there's a time you know as the kids get older who knows um you know what what timing looks like at that, at that point in time. You always listen. Uh, but I, I I'm confident with the Jags. You know, I know a lot of people have uh, you know, I've been happy with the end result and the win loss record over the years. But uh, I think Dave Caldwell knows how to evaluate players. I think they've got a, a pretty good young roster here. So I'm hopeful that, uh, that that job doesn't come open for a very long time.
1: Well, if the opportunity does come around for you, just remember what a great time you had over here on Believe in the Jaguars with Phil and Jay. <laughs> there, there you go.
2: Phil and Jay, that's it, man. Those that's yeah. are my guys.
1: I'm, I'm good. here. <laughs> All right, Jay, go ahead and uh, get the next one there.
0: Yeah, man. Um, so this, as I've already said, this offseason is going to be a very unique one uh, when you look at it. And it's one where – a young team like the Jags could get off to a slow start. So that being said, not just the Jags, but in, the, in just in general with the NFL, do you think like we're going to get off to like a sloppy uh, first two weeks or first three weeks uh, that they have to go through? Um, and, and again, just this is in general now, not just the Jaguars, but do you think the play will be sloppy in the beginning?
2: Yeah, I think it for the most part, it kind of has been, you know, over the last – Five to ten years because we've taken so much of the physicality out of practice so the tackling traditionally is not good for the first couple of weeks of the season the veteran players have stopped playing in preseason games That's that's been the case here for the last couple of years they participate in joint practices where it's more of a thud um, there's not a lot of tackling to the ground with your starters so every year I think it's a little bit sloppy uh, I think this year probably is going to be more so and instead of maybe one or two weeks maybe it's three or four weeks but these guys, I mean, this is not the 50s. I mean, these guys haven't been at home, you know, working as as car mechanics and, and ca- taxi cab drivers. Like they've been getting, they're staying in shape and, and doing what they need to do. And um, I just think from a tackling standpoint, uh, prepare yourself that it's going to be a little sloppy early on.
0: Yeah, you make a good point because I actually had this conversation on Twitter now that you mentioned it about, and it didn't hit me until you said it about how sloppy the regular season has be, been in the past, anyway. Um, I mean, a prime example, uh, somebody was saying that uh, Tom Brady, they were joking, though. Tom Brady was scared to play the Jags in the preseason because of, you know, the defense and what have you. And I was like, well, I don't think I've seen Tom Brady play in a preseason since like I've been born or I've been watching <laughs> I don't think I gotta worry about seeing him anyway. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate your analysis on that. That's no, all good. All right. And of course, guys,
1: we are speaking with Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks. You can also check out the Move the Sticks podcast with Bucky Brooks. And he just started that YouTube channel over over there. So make sure you check that out. But we have one last question for you, Daniel. And again, thank you so much for your time. We're going to ask you about the guy around here. And that is Gardner Minshew. And, you know, you (laughs) praised him. Of course, we couldn't get through this without talking about uh, the stash. Um, You know, you've you've placed him in the past and, uh, you know, let the listeners know how you feel about him. And also, do you think it was the right move for the Jags not to go quarterback this year in round one?
2: Yeah, I think it was. I think you saw enough good things last year from Gardner Minshew. And really, if you stripped away where they were picked and just evaluate them just as how they played last year, I don't even think it would have been a discussion or a debate. I think sometimes we hold on to the guy, you know, where he was picked and evaluate him from that standpoint, throw that out the window. Once you, once you land on a team, uh, Jay, you just mentioned Tom Brady, you yeah, know, example, number one, uh, where you're picked is irrelevant. It's all about how you perform. So I think he showed plenty that, uh, you can get excited about him. And now the challenges with this weird offseason that we've had, um, can he make what that normal second year leap we see from guys, um, that's going to be the challenge, but somebody that can make every throw. Somebody's got a little magic to him, as, as everybody knows, got some playmaking to them. And I think the energy I'm big on guys that bring energy to the team. And you, you mark my words on this one. When you're playing in empty stadiums this year, you need guys like Gardner Minshew. You need guys that bring juice and bring life and bring energy to the stadium and to your team. And so I think that's going to only be accentuated this year. So I'm on, I'm on the the Gardner Minshew train here. Hopefully you can keep it going.
1: Yeah, of of course, you know, he's just taken this city by storm. And I really think, and we, we've talked about this on our show in the past, he's really the kind of guy that they relate to, the fan base relates to that Blake Bortles, they wanted him to be, but like it just yeah. wasn't there for whatever reason. So I, we're definitely, definitely rooting for him. And then just to kind of follow up on that, and then of course we'll, we'll let you go. There's been a lot of talk around here that of course, with Kyler Murray and Josh the Bills' Josh Allen landing on the top 100 list, when you look at the numbers, I mean, it seems like Minshew should have been somewhere in there too, right? Yeah, if you again, but
2: I'm telling you, this is a list that's voted by the players. The players, just as a lot of fans, are going to uh, hold true to where guys were picked. And so there's like a two-year lag of being able to admit, oh, wait a second, that guy actually is really good. You know, this is not this is not somebody that wasn't a first-round pick. This is just a really good player. Um, but yeah, if you stack up his year, he stacks up pretty well. Although to me, Kyler Murray with his with his ceiling is is oh man I uh, think he's got he's got MVP type ability so uh, I understand that one and Josh Allen is uh, I think maybe a little bit of a fair fight there
1: yeah Bill's Mafia and Jaguar Twitter don't get along too well so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens but again Daniel that's you know those are all the questions you have thank you so much Jay is there anything else you, you wanted to ask DJ uh, before we get out of here
0: yeah just one quick thing since you mentioned quarterbacks Phil uh, I just, I'm curious to know, had you heard anything about the Jaguars even being like potentially interested in drafting like a Tua or somebody in the first round?
2: No, I mean, I, I hadn't. And I think that some of that is, is, you know, maybe not being in love with the guys that were in the draft. I think maybe if it was, you know, a chance where you could have got all the way up to Joe Burrow, that would have been different, but that was not going to be the case. And I just think outside of that, you know, between Herbert and and uh, Tua, Jordan Love, I'd never really heard those guys attached to the jags and i think it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier jay which is that there's a belief in gardner mentioned inside the organization they want to see what he looks like this year
0: yeah so uh, that was all i had then phil on that man we appreciate it dj
2: no problem boys it's great to great to be with you guys uh hopefully everybody stays safe with you and your families and uh, we'll catch up down the road
0: we'll do we'll do
2: yeah thanks Daniel. again you take care
1: So again, a big shout out to Daniel Jeremiah for joining us. That was a really, really fun talk. And again, for him to give us that time, it was really, really cool. I know you guys couldn't see it because it's just audio, but we did kind of do like a video conference call with him and we got to see the famous set uh, from his home there with the fake flowers and all that stuff. So, but yeah, really, really nice guy. And, and Jay, I, I mean, it was a lot of fun to do that with him.
0: Yeah, man. Like I said, in the last episode, I've always kind of uh, admire the draft analysts in the game or or certain ones should I say And Mike Mayock was one uh, Daniel Jeremiah was another one and, and when he got promoted basically to Mike Mayock's place I don't think there was a more deserving guy to be promoted to that position speaking of which uh, his good buddy and co-host of the move the sticks podcast uh, Bucky Brooks former Jaguar who played for Tom Coughlin in the 90s will be joining the broadcast group there with John Osier and Ashlyn Sullivan and all of those guys. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, that's going to be exciting to watch as well. And shout out to him and congratulations to him as well. And uh, yeah, that should be be exciting too. But yeah, man, uh, I was absolutely elated to do that interview with Daniel Jeremiah. And uh, yeah, appreciate all of the little tidbits and the nuggets that he shared with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Jay. And we hope to connect with DJ again down the line, you know, as the college football season hopefully progresses. That is a whole nother can of worms that we're not going to get into right now, but again, really exciting to be able to link up with him uh, for the show, but let's move into some current Jaguar news here, Jay. So this past week we talked about, you know, players around the league that have been opting out and taking advantage of the option to sit out the 2020 season due to health concerns, of course, because of COVID-19 and the Jaguars finally do have a couple of players that have decided to opt out. And one of them, of course, is newly acquired free agent Al Woods. Now, there was a lot of talk around this, Jay, because he was expected to be a starter. And now, of course, this is going to be the next man up mentality that you really spoke on last week. But yeah, now we know that Al Woods will not be available. And, you know, I want you to talk about what that means as far as opportunity for, you know, the guys that are on the roster that have decided not to opt out. And also, is there somebody maybe out there in free agency that we should look into bringing that we should look into uh, possibly bring in to replace him? I know Marcel Darius's name has come up quite a bit to bring him back. And then later on in the week, Laurenti McRae was the second player from the Jaguars to opt out. So, Jay, what was your first reaction to this news and what do you think the Jags do from here?
0: Uh, yeah, I guess you could say, I mean, I didn't expect it to be. Al Woods necessarily. I didn't, you know, it was just kind of hard to gauge who it was gonna be from the Jaguars to opt out. You know, while they are a young team, you certainly didn't expect them not to have any opt-outs or or go without opt-outs, you know. So we we kind of speculated it would be uh whoever it was gonna be, you know, maybe one to two people, but not necessarily a lot. But it was always just hard to pinpoint who it would be. And in this case, it was Al Woods, which kind of makes sense because Al Woods is, you know, and this is not to say uh, performance wise, you know, he wasn't gonna perform to the expectations, but, you know, he is the oldest player on the team. Uh, he's made a lot of money for himself, you know, he can' afford to take this time off and spend with his family and so on and so forth. And even, um, you know, he mentioned that he'll be back next year, so it sounds like he took the voluntary opt out. but um, even so, you know he can decide to retire next year. You know if he doesn't want to play next year, and just call it quits. Because, like I said, he, he's a guy that has been around the league. He's made a decent amount of money for himself. And you know when it comes to your family, uh, you can't certainly blame him uh, for making this decision. So, uh, in terms of the free agents and what have you, or the other options that the Jaguars could look into, um, the two that came to my mind was Darius. Of course, what you said. And uh, Snacks Harris as well Um, with Darius is I guess you got to see where his health is. Um, Maybe that had something to do with why the Jaguars parted ways from him. Well, of course, it was the money too. like that cap figure of like 20 million was astronomical. But I mean, I guess the key there is that Dave Caldwell did, if I can recall, leave the door open for Marcel Darius to return because he said it in an interview. Can't remember exactly which one it was. Or it might have been a presser or whatever the case may be. So, you know, we could see maybe them reach out to him. But it sounds like the Jaguars might be fine with what they have at this position. And that makes sense, too, because they were kind of deep at the nose tackle position. And when you like, you know, for people like me that compile 53 man rosters and so on and so forth. Uh, one of the issues you have when you compile this roster was it was just a lot of nose tackles and you're going to have to end up letting a young guy go like Dontavious Russell. But now Dontavious Russell, who's a bubble guy, gets the opportunity now. Seventh round pick from last year. And, uh, you know, this just basically made a roster spot available for him to make the roster. So um, Doug Marone mentioned uh Devon Hamilton, who they drafted highly. So that's always out there. That's a, you know, that he can start uh, and. You know, I praised him highly. I believe he was going to be a starter eventually anyway, but not necessarily right out of the gate. Now the opportunity is there for him to start right out of the gate. And, of course, they have the team's longest-tenured veteran in terms of being with the Jaguars, and that's Avery Jones as well. So between Avery Jones, Hamilton, and Russell, uh, it looks like they have pretty good numbers there. And, uh, you know, they maybe could get a practice squad guy squeezed in there or, or stuff a guy on practice squad as well that could help out
1: are there any names particularly out there jay that you think would be the go-to is it just pretty much a no-brainer that it would be marcel or would you think they'd go maybe a different route depending on i guess the money and how things would work out i'm not 100 sure do you know um the money that they would then owe al woods does that go back on the books for the jags to spend for the season do you know how that works
0: uh, if I can recall, with a voluntary opt out, uh, they get the player get a I think it's one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollar. Yeah,
1: one hundred. Yeah, one hundred fifty
0: thousand. Uh, yeah. So advance, and when you use the term advance, and I could be wrong on this, you know, I need to probably uh speak to an agent about this, but they may get it this year. But even so, with with Al Woods contract, it was only a one year deal, and it wasn't all that pricey. At, at, At the most, I think he gets like two million at the most. So this is like almost veteran minimum type of deal, a little bit above that. So it's not going to even, you know, just looking at the deal itself. If you want to take that into account, it wasn't going to necessarily hurt them a lot. So it doesn't really put them in bad position cap wise financially. I think last time I looked, they had roughly what 20 million in cap space. Um I'll have to look again. I haven't looked since the rookies have been signed, but they have money to go out and get a guy. And at this point, all of the guys you go and get out of free agency anyway are going to be guys you put on one year deals. It's not going to be like these massive five year type of deals. It's going to be uh you know real cheap deals uh for, for veterans that have been around and you know have experience. So like I said, the the guys that came to my mind of course was Darius and the other one that came to my mind was Snacks Harris, because, you know, um, obviously, you know, my our buddy Josh is a Giants fan. I, I watched a little bit of Giants football, so uh, maybe look out for those two. But I do think being that Doug Marone mentioned uh, not Russell, but he mentioned um, Hamilton in one of his pressers this week. I, it does sound like they are comfortable with what they have. But, you know, if they have to go in free agency, um, the money is there because they won't really have to pay all that much for Uh, the veterans that are available.
1: And of course, last week, we discussed this year being just like any other in terms of roster movement and things like that. i truly believe we're going to see some things that we haven't really seen before and teams having to be creative. So we will definitely see what happens going forward. Moving into our next topic here, Jay, uh, Jimmy Smith has been pretty vocal over on social media, specifically Twitter. Uh, this past week, and this most recent string of tweets has come in regards to Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, so pretty much what happened, guys, Rick Belou, of course, from 1010XL, had tweeted out that Doug Marone had not had any conversations with Yann. And Jimmy Smith responded to that tweet saying, forget Yann. We don't have time for him. We are trying to rebuild our football team with guys who want to be here. Now, somebody decided to, a Twitter user decided to uh, screenshot a a photo of when Jimmy Smith held out, you know, back when he was a player here, to which Jimmy responded, the difference is that I wanted to be a Jaguar for life. Now that resulted in some more replies uh, from Twitter users. Jimmy wanted to be here. He just wanted his money. Jan does not want to play here, no matter the money. He even disrespected the owner's son on Twitter, which again prompted a subtweet from Jimmy. Yep, I wouldn't pay him, Jack, if he disrespected my son on Twitter. And that, of course, is referring to the Twitter exchange that Jan had with Tony Khan earlier in the year. Um, there's some other things here that uh, that Jimmy uh, commented on here. Jay, I'm not going to get into all of it. You can you can obviously check out the article over on the Jaguars wire or just look at the tweets that Jimmy sent out. But what were your initial reactions to Jimmy being pretty vocal about the fact that, you know, the Jags should move on from Jan? Do you, were you surprised that this came from an ex-player or were you not surprised because Jimmy, of course, has been very loyal to this team, you know, since day one, since he arrived.
0: Well, not just lo- uh, loyal to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jimmy Smith has also been a vocal member of the Jacksonville Jaguars and expressing, uh, you know, in the lows when when the team, I mean, well, they're still in the lows, you know, currently now, uh, you know, he, he's been one to speak his mind about how bad the team has been, Uh, He's been wanting to speak his mind. If I can recall, he spoke his mind on uh, his buddies getting into the Hall of Fame. You know, the guys he played with, Tony Bocelli, um, Fred Taylor, you know, so on and so forth. So he's a guy that, if you will, in terms of the OGs of the Jaguars organization or the Jaguars uh, that used to be on the Jaguars roster, he's a guy that, while it was kind of sporadic when he appeared on Twitter, when, you know, it's been moments in history where, He has spoken out against, you know, issues and just calling it how he sees it. So it's not surprising from that standpoint. I think just the the more surprising part is just how active he's been lately. And I think what that just is attributed to is the fans as of late, you know, they've been heavily vouching for him to get in the Hall of Fame. And I think, you know, maybe it's possible Jimmy just wants to show that love back and, and just wants to be more active on Twitter. And, I mean, of course, football season is coming up, too. So, you know, it's, this is right around the time where, you know, you would think players return back to Twitter. But so many players are vouching for him right now, or should I say so many fans are, to get in the Hall of Fame. And he makes a, you know, when you compare his number uh, his numbers to Michael Irvin, you know, you could argue that Jimmy Smith should definitely be in there. I mean, and, you know, we actually talked about that in the jazz then, me, you and Jacob. And we made me and you made a strong case for Jimmy to be in there. And he should be without the shadow of a doubt. But, you know, there were some issues that came up in his life. You know, nobody's perfect that it probably hurts him and, and so on and so forth. And he was a late bloomer too. When you look at his career, like he didn't really get going into like three or four years into his career. You know, he was injured with the Cowboys. Um, and he may have been with one more team before he came to the Jaguars. Don't uh, quote me on that. But when he made it to the Jaguars, you know, I think he, his first year he had, um, it was either like some appendicitis related type of deal going on where he. Missed the season, or they might have been with the Cowboys, but you know, he's just a guy that he didn't get going until, like, like I said, four to five years into his career, and you know, maybe that's hurt him. But you know, with the recent string of fans, and not just fans though, I've been seeing analysts as well. And again, most of which me and you agree with that he should be in there. Uh, but you know, I, I think that it's brought him back into the realm, and he's been thanking the fans. And so on and so forth. And he's also been speaking his mind on what issues the Jaguars currently have going on. And obviously he feels like Yannick and is one of them.
1: Right. Definitely very, very vocal. And to kind of touch on what you was said there, Jay, he was signed to the Philadelphia Eagles for one season, but he never played it down for them. So between 93 and 95, he didn't necessarily play. And then, like you said, he was a bit of a late bloomer with the Jaguars. Now I do just want to throw out some statistics out there, Jay, when you're talking about, you know, him being eligible for the hall of fame and, you know, us going to bat for him. I mean, look at these seasons consecutively, man. They're insane. 96, 83 catches, 1,244 yards, 97, 82 catches, 1,324 yards, 98, 78 catches, 1,182 yards. And then we talk, get to 99, Jay. And I'm sure you know where these numbers are going. 116 catches, 1,636 yards, six touchdowns. Like, And then just the years after that, it's not like he fell off big time. 91, 112, 80, 54. There's a little bit of a drop there. Then 74 and then 70 in his final year with the Jaguars. I mean, yeah, he was a late bloomer, but... During that 96 to 2005 run, you can make the argument he was definitely one of the league's best. He does hold some NFL records, most games with at least five catches in a season, which, of course, is 16 in 2001. That has been tied by Antonio Brown and Pierre Garçon, actually, believe it or not. He also held the record at one point most consecutive games with at least five catches, which was 21. That has since been broken by Antonio Brown. Uh, but again, AB, pretty special himself on the field. Uh, and then also most games with at least 49 yards receiving in a season, again, 16 every single game in 2001. I mean, this guy definitely, I think, left his mark on the game. It's really sad that, you know, that 99 season fell short, but, you know, he was still such a huge part of this team, and I, which is why I think he is, again, like you said, being so vocal because he owes a lot to the city and the fans of jacksonville and it didn't really surprise me too much that he was he was the one being so loud you know of course you're not going to hear this from keenan because he's involved with the team same thing with fred taylor even though he definitely tends to be a little bit more vocal specifically around hall of fame time because again that's another guy that definitely should be in um and then Baselli, you know again on the team payroll, so with Jimmy, it gives him a—he has a little bit more leeway, and you know, definitely a guy that we hope to, you know, speak with down the line for sure.
0: Right, right, yeah, man, those stats are just astronomical, man. And look, it's make no mistake about it, man. This is a classic case of if he wore a star on his helmet or anything else, a horse or a lightning bolt or whatever the case may be on his helmet, he would be in. Because I just went and I went to. um pro football references player comparison and i put in jimmy smith and i compared him with michael irvin because again they have similar stats so looking at this in comparison uh you know the in terms of total yardage in terms of receiving on their career uh jimmy smith had uh 12,287 michael irvin had less than him he had 11,904 so he beat him in that category he beat uh, Michael. In terms of touchdowns, sixty-seven to sixty-five. Um, he. So you look at these key categories; they almost are identical in games played. Uh, one hundred and seventy-eight games in Jimmy's case to uh, one hundred and fifty-nine games played in Michael Irvin's case. And then I'm looking at their careers. Let's see, from eighty-eight to ninety-nine. So uh, Irvin was in there a little bit more over a decade, and then Smith was nineteen ninety-two to two thousand and five. So. These guys, like, are definitely super comparable when you look at the Hall of Fame. Um, But, you know, and, and even so, you can also, you know, a lot of people that want to throw in the whole wrench about Jimmy Smith's issues out the field. Well, Michael Irvin had his share of issues out the field as well, if we want to be fair here. So, you know, I feel like Jimmy Smith, you know, it's being being held against Jimmy because of simply put. You know, he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I feel like if he played for any other team, uh, you know, he'll probably be in. And I mean, I think that might be the case for Tony Boselli as well, who, you know, who's routinely been a semifinalist or a finalist, should I say, to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but just can't never knock the door down in that last round.
1: Yeah. And of course, you know, we can go off on a tangent uh, as far as Jimmy Smith goes, Tony Baselli, Fred Taylor, all of those guys. We definitely don't want to do that right now because I'm sure that's another discussion we'll attack down the road. But that being said, are you just to look at the Yon side of things? Um, and there was even kind of an offhand comment that <laughs> the the Twitter account that had posted the article about Jimmy holding out was Yan's burner account. Again, that's something we're not going to get into right now, but. Are you surprised at all that there is still pretty much this radio silence from the Yannick Ngakwe camp? I mean, I guess they've pretty much said all they have to say. Is there really anything else they can or should do at this time?
0: No, nah, I mean, if he, you know, he's truly adamant about wanting out, you know, what is there left to say? You know, like you said, they haven't, and Doug Marone said it this week or it was last week in his first presser, they haven't heard from him. So he probably... You know, I don't want to say he probably doesn't plan on playing because the other part to this is he won't accrue a season if he doesn't play. But he probably don't plan on signing the franchise tag or the franchise. I guess it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the non-exclusive franchise tag. Um, He doesn't plan on signing it anytime soon. And, uh, you know, he could be very well willing to go in this stare down with the team. So, I mean, I'm not surprised, though, at all to answer your question. And, I mean, Yon is a prideful guy, by the way. So, and that's a lot of what, you know, can, can, I guess that's a lot of what concerns me is his pride could put the Jags and the Jags pride as well could put them both in a situation where it's a lose-lose situation where both sides lose because of their pride where they're just in the stare down nobody gets anything out of the equation yan doesn't get traded and if he doesn't play he doesn't accrue a season the jacksonville jaguars are without uh their best pass rusher arguably or one of their best pass rushers i guess you could say josh allen is the better pass rusher but you know that's a lose-lose situation so hopefully they find some cr- some common ground on it uh but time will tell
1: Right. And you know, for those of you who might necessarily be getting a little tired of this topic, trust me, we're there with you, but it's one of the biggest things going on within the franchise. So we're going to cover it. And I I do apologize, (laughs) but we'll move on from Jan here, Jay, and just touch on one final subject before we wrap up this week's episode. So Forbes released its annual list of most valuable sports franchises this past Friday and more than half of the year's top 50 teams worldwide come from the NFL. Of course, the Dallas Cowboys have topped the entire list for the fifth straight year. No sports league has seen team values rise faster over the last decade than the NBA, according to Kurt Badenhausen, but the NFL still reigns supreme as far as holding a majority of the world's top-earning franchises. Now, Jay, we wanted to bring this up because, as we mentioned, the Jaguars are ranked 23rd, but... We also wanted to mention that there are some interesting teams that are ranked behind the Jaguars here, uh, including the Kansas City Chiefs, New Orleans Saints, Arizona Cardinals, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So for those of you that are curious, the Jaguars have a current value of approximately $2.33 billion, which of course is good for number 44 in all of the major sports leagues, including football franchises. Jay, you and I, when we uh, topped to Shant Club, a couple of weeks ago, over in the UK, they talked about how you know football teams really aren't worth a whole lot of money because they're paying their players such astronomical prices to play for the team. It's really just kind of more of a status thing, right? Like, hey, I own a football team, um, but of course, I make my money elsewhere, you know. So, as opposed to things being a little bit different over here, so you know, just initial thoughts of the Jaguars being ranked, you know, for for all intents and purposes pretty high on this list i feel like i mean i was definitely surprised what were your what were your thoughts and reactions when you saw this forbes article come out
0: yeah for a team with a decade history worth of losing i mean aside from 2017 uh 2.33 billion isn't bad at all and you know shot Khan again he, he bought this team for what was it 770 million or something around those lines when it was valued at about uh 725 million. So, you know, he paid a little bit more than it was valued at, or it was approximately worth. Uh, but year by year, you know, this is proof that, you know, the revenue in terms of what he's getting is going up. And, you know, that's, this is exactly why fans, when, you know, they hear that V word viability, that's why they get upset is looking at these statistics and again these approximations Um, these aren't you know the exact figure they were more along the lines of estimations but I mean when you look at what this team is valued at and how they're more than uh valued at at least estimated at a, a value more than the Kansas City Chiefs more than the New Orleans Saints uh, you know more than even the Arizona Cardinals have had more success than them I and mean, you could argue that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have too because uh, the Bucks have a Super Bowl uh, in, in their case. So these are teams that have been, you know, in totality more successful than the Jacksonville Jaguars, especially since Shahid Khan got the team. So uh, that being said, um, I think the team's value, you know, longer Shahid Khan is the owner is going to continue to go up. And this is just, you know, I think this is a case to show you like where, you know, the NFL is a very group of elite. Uh, I guess you could say owners where even if the product is bad, you still generate revenue. Albeit, you know, it's not like a significant, significant jump for shotgun, but I think they went from 2.05 billion to 2.33 billion, but still like, he's still raking in money for a product that has not been good. And, um, you know, that's, I guess that's where we at with it. And another thing too, man, like, I think, you know, the, the thing I took away from looking at these figures and this is kind of to go off topic is what you when you look at what these owners are building stadiums in terms of the price line, uh, the, the approximation and and you know how much these stadiums are valued at the stadiums are now getting to the point where they are more than the team itself. I don't know if you noticed that Phil. prime example um, and I'm sure you can look up the other stadium I'm going to mention here, but. The So I think it's Sofo or SOCO Stadium that uh is being built for the Rams and the Chargers in Los Angeles or Inglewood to be exact. Uh that stadium is valued at roughly like five billion dollars. And I think they had to ask for more money for it or something along those lines. Don't quote me on that. But it's it's like the value on that or or what it costs to build that is at like five billion or six billion that's three times the amount of a NFL franchise. I could take three of these franchises and fit it into that timeline or that that price line. Same applies for, I don't know the exact figure. And this is the one I was alluding to that you probably can look up, but the Las Vegas stadium. And I think it's called Allegiant stadium. If I'm not mistaken, um, I think they have come up with a name for that. Um, that's another stadium that was, I would assume was 2 billion, maybe more, something along those lines. Uh, where, you know, the taxpayers are footing a lot of these bills. And, you know, I, I think that in itself, that is an issue where these stadiums are getting to the point where if you look at Forbes numbers, that they are valued uh, more than some teams are, are getting to that, that point in some cases. And, uh, you know, I think it's also unfortunate that a lot of this money comes out of the taxpayers' uh, pockets as well when looking at these figures. And by the way, these figures are only going to go up in terms of team value.
1: Yeah, and what you said there, Jay, uh, that's SoFi Stadium over there in Inglewood, and it is a $5 billion venue, of course, which the Chargers and the Rams are going to share. And yeah, like you said, I mean, the price of these stadiums is absolutely wild and kind of harkens back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we had my other co-host Eric on from the Wait For It podcast. You know, eventually they're going to have to make some changes. And just like you, I definitely see – the value of this team just continuing to go up. Of course, they have a big following now in the international market, over you know across the pond, as they say. And just imagine what's going to happen when this team and if this team gets good again. You know, if he, if Gardner Minshew turns out to be the guy, he's incredibly marketable, incredibly likable. You know, just look at what happened in 2017, where this team became a, a little bit like you know kind of a, an adopted team for a lot of people. You know, they came. Really close to beating the Patriots, they beat the Steelers, which a lot of people don't like. You know, people like these stories and uh, especially underdog stories. And yeah, I can only see really the value of the team going up if things go hopefully the way that we want them to. You know, of course, the last decade, as you mentioned, it has not been that way, and it takes a lot to um, it takes a lot to turn things around. Um, interesting uh, information here, Jay. Just because we are talking about. Uh, of course, be- even though he doesn't play here anymore, Alan Hearns has just opted out of the 2020 season. So of course, former Jaguar wide receiver, Alan Hearns, now with the Dolphins has announced he is going to opt out. Um, just got a little distracted there cause I popped up on my phone, but yeah, I found it interesting that they were even ranked above the St. Louis Cardinals, Jay, who the Cardinals had a stretch where they were like in the world series every other year. So yeah, th- these numbers are wild to me, but, uh, you know, it's a little bit, it- it's a small win for Jaguar
0: fans. <laughs> yeah it is it is you know like it's that's interesting to see you know uh, us little old Jacksonville, the small market team value more than the Super Bowl champions, you know, so like that is a little bit of a you know something to to kind of smile about um and also one more thing I wanted to mention too, man, with the I mean, and I'm kind of digressive from the point too with the stadiums or the, with these teams, this isn't even what the net worth of the actual owners are the net worth of some of these owners are higher than this, so that being said, like I said, man, that whole thing about the stadium just puzzles me. If Shahid Khan is, uh, and I don't know the exact figure, maybe he's like, uh, he might be at four to five to six billion in terms of net worth right now. is valued at that, and you know, here we are trying to, you know, f- make the taxpayers pay for these ridiculous price new stadiums. I mean, renovations is another thing, but you know, these prices on new stadiums, man, they're only going up, and it's it's kind of scary to say the least. Well
1: hopefully the value and the recognition of the team only continues to trend positively because uh, of course that just means better things for Jag- for the team as well as its fan base. But that being said, Jay, those are pretty much you know the primary topics we wanted to tackle this week. Uh, we're working on a lot over here at the podcast just continuing to strive to be the best show out here as far as the Jaguars goes and really just, you know, just the NFL in general. So, Jay, before we get out of here, you know, let everybody know what we have to look forward to in terms of the show as well as over on the Jaguars wire.
0: Yeah, with the Believe in the Jazz podcast, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, reach out to, you know, guests that you probably weren't kind of expecting, but people that could offer good analysis, kind of like, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, and Ian Rappaport, so on and so forth, and players as well with, uh, with training camp starting as well you know maybe somebody out of the front office maybe somebody in the coaching staff man we're just trying to you know bring you all premier content in terms of guests now because you all pretty much know who we are at this point me and phil are i mean we've been doing it for a minute like we're literally podcast uh veterans at this point so in terms of the site itself uh the jaguars wire uh they're going to be doing ramp ups uh, so it's going to be a ramp up period for training camp. So we'll have more training camp coverage. We'll be covering and uh, monitoring the league as well. Although the deadline is going to be at 4 p.m. Thursday, but we'll be monitoring these opt outs and uh, monitoring the Jag situation. Um, we I don't know if we'll have any more big time Jag opt outs, but we'll see they have until Thursday, which is what a uh, day or so uh, from now. So We'll be monitoring that. We'll be monitoring the latest in terms of training camp news The Jacksonville Jaguars uh, shout outs to them and their PR office has done a good job communicating uh, with us in terms of, you know, getting us the information on pressers, uh, on pressers and so on and so forth. So we look to relay all of that information to you all. And, um, you know, with us not having any free season games, uh, we're going to just keep the content coming for you all. So stay tuned. Yeah, guys, so make sure
1: you follow us on Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. Follow myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay over at Sports Grind underscore Don. We are always tweeting out, you know, any breaking news that we're able to get our hands on. So, you know, if we're not, of course, necessarily able to record right then and there, you can head over to Twitter for that up-to-date news as well as following the Jaguars Wire uh, over on Twitter, Facebook, wherever it is that you consume your internet searching. So that being said, you guys, again, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe and rate the show. Give us that five star review. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. You've already been doing that so much because of your downloads and the reviews and all that stuff. So whenever essentially doing that, allows the podcast to pop up more frequently if someone is looking for a show in regards to the jacksonville jaguars we're of course also available on spotify google play stitcher luminary and tune in you can also find us at believe.com and at believe podcast thank you guys so much for joining us wherever you're at stay healthy stay safe wear a mask this has been the believe in the jaguars podcast on the believe podcast network we believe do you we'll see you next time you guys